Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Open up your Bibles to the book of Esther, Esther chapter 2. We're going to be seeing here about uh, last week we studied, we're going through the book of Esther, and last week we focused mainly so much on the king, his name was King Ahauerwas, and how he was a foolish man, and he constantly, he specialized in making bad choices and bad decisions. Secondly, today, chapter 2, we're going to be introduced, um, we're not, we're not going to so much talk about Esther, because she's in all, throughout all the book, but today we're introduced to a new character named Mordecai, and he is the exact opposite of King Ahauerwas. He makes wise decisions. And our goal for this morning, and what the Lord is going to speak to you about, and what I want the Lord to open up your mind and understanding, is to see if there's a Mordecai either in your life who's guiding you and directing you and helping you point your relationship and your walk closer to the Lord. Or are there people in your life that you need to be a Mordecai too. Background information, just so you remember, Esther lost her parents at a very young age. She was an orphan. She had a cousin named Mordecai. Mordecai raised her. The setting of this book is at about 483 B.C. The nation of Judah was conquered by a, 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 what we call Babylon or Persia because of their disobedience. And King Jehoiakim, he worshipped idols. So God judged them by sending Nebuchadnezzar to come over to Jerusalem, wipe them out, burn their city down. That's when we think the Ark of the Covenant was destroyed when the second temple was destroyed. The temple, or the first temple was destroyed there. That one that Solomon built, the ark was destroyed. And the people, the Jewish people, were captured and taken in captivity to this land of Babylon or Persia. And they are in exile. That is the setting of Esther. So Esther is an orphan girl, and she has a cousin coming along named Mordecai who's going to raise her. And throughout this entire story, we're going to see the hand of God working and placing people in positions so ultimately God gets all the credit and God is at work. While you turn here to Esther chapter 2, I want to read a Bible verse to you out of the book of Romans because this should be a verse that we cling to as we have uncertainty and doubt. And there's much in our world today, there's great uncertainty and doubt and uh, things are just different. They're always going to be different, but they certainly seem different now. I think I was telling some of y'all before the service, you know, we have our Thanksgiving dinner today, and I was watching the news yesterday, and this is what's on the news, that turkeys cost more than they have ever in the history of the United States. If you're going to celebrate Thanksgiving, David, this year, you're going to pay more for your turkey because of inflation than ever. So how much a turkey costs. So Miss Darlene's got seven turkeys. So you can actually come to eat at the church and save money because if you buy it yourself and cook it at home, it's going to cost more this year. I mean, it's just different. Turkey used to be that cheap meat, but it's not cheap anymore. There's no such thing as cheap meat anymore whatsoever. So that is 
Uh, it's not that the bird, all of a sudden, the value of a turkey costs more. It's just the price has gone up. There's plenty of turkeys, same old bird. Nothing's changed with the animal. Things cost more. So that's just, we live in a different time. It's different than it was a few years ago. And that's what it's a little bit going to like for Esther, this story here. In times of uncertainty, times of feeling like maybe you live in exile or you are having to pinch your penny and spend, uh, stuff just costs more. It's, it's, you're stretching that. And that's certainly what we have to abide in our Christian walk is the same. Romans 8.28 says, I want to read this Bible verse here. It says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. And that's the underlying Bible verse throughout our lives. We are reminded that the Lord, no matter what you are going through, the Lord is working. And we have no idea how that. Uh, before I read this, I just want to tell you um, two sad stories uh, that happened this past week here in our church family. Brother Hurd kind of mentioned it. Miss Marguerite Hurd, she had a stroke on, th- on Tuesday morning. Well, she was sitting right there last Sunday. He was up here on the platform praying. They're now at Baptist Health recovering, as we speak, recovering from a stroke. That's an opportunity for us as a church family to be praying for her recovery and for a healing for her to make a, um, uh, get back her mobility and her strength from Tuesday morning stroke. Last Sunday, we had a lady named Janet Davis. And one of my goals is I try to speak to everybody. I don't always make it. But I try to, during that closing song, David, I run down the aisle as fast as I can if I can get to the end. But Miss Janet was sitting right there, about uh, third, third, fourth pew from the back. And I spoke to her. She was on the end. If you're on the end, you always get spoken to. So, uh... I was talking to her, and she pulled me aside, and you know she's had some challenges with her family, and she pulled me aside and said, Pastor, I want you to know that message I have Esther about how God's, because last week we talked about God's providential hand. It's just His hand was working and is working throughout our lives, and even though we don't see it. And that message meant a lot to me because I need to hear about the Lord is working despite the unusual things occurring in our family and the challenges we're dealing with. She was here at our very first 845 service last Sunday. Her husband, Greg, and her ride motorcycles. They rode their motorcycle at Lockport, which is up a little north of Frankfurt. And they were riding their motorcycle, and they, a deer came out. They had helmets on and everything. A deer came out and hit them. And she was killed immediately. Last Sunday sermon on Esther chapter 1 was the last sermon she ever heard in her life. And, God, and she was talking about God's providence to me. And if you all remember, when I was walking down that aisle, remember, you notice I didn't make it to the door. I was standing there about 10 minutes. I didn't get to shake a lot of your hands. Because she grabbed my hand. And basically, that's how you talk to somebody, David. You grab their hand and hold on to them so they can't get away from you. And she was t- talking to me, and I share this because she was buried yesterday. That was her last sermon, last church service. And for us, we are reminded, we do not know what the future holds. 
We, have, we are not promised. Guys, we aren't even promised this afternoon. She was dead. She talked to me at 9.45 when the service was over. She was with Jesus standing in front of him at 4.11 p.m. That, just like that. That fast last Sunday. Now, we're not here to scare folks, but there is a reality that at any moment, we need to be ready and prepared to give an account to the Lord. That's why if some of you are thinking about getting saved, there is never a delay. I believe, I pray for every single time I preach, every single time the choir sings and the Lord is, uh, the God's Word is preached and the Lord is magnified, we want to be praying for someone to be saved. Are you praying for someone to be saved this morning? Maybe there's someone here who's lost. You came to church this morning, 845, bright and early, and you are spiritually dead. You're not prepared to meet Jesus. In every, bi- every passage in the Bible, even in the Old Testament books of Esther, the pastor should be making a beeline, which means a connection to Christ. The Lord is working through Esther and Mordecai. And maybe there's going to be an, a Mordecai in your life who's actually guiding you, which ultimately is pointing you to get saved and give your life to Jesus. Are you praying for someone to get saved this morning? Are we asking God, says, God, let's give us a lost soul. Who do we know spiritually lost? I mean, just this morning, that's three people who were here last Sunday who are not here. Brother Hurd, Marguerite, Miss Janet Davis. Miss Janet's with the Lord. Miss Marguerite's in the hospital. Open up your Bibles. Esther chapter 2, verse 1. Sometime later, when King Ahauerwas' rage had cooled down, he remembered Vashti, what she had done and what was decided against her. I want to tell you what had happened. This is four years later. We know this from history. This king, as we talked about last week, was a fool. He decides, after he got drunk, basically, asks his wife, which is Queen Vashti, to come out and parade herself around wearing the queen, like probably implying only wearing the, only wearing the crown. And she said, no, he got upset. He said, I need a new queen, we're getting rid of you. Send her home. And then he decides he go, went to war with Greece, and he lost. I mean, he, he just wasn't, the man just didn't make good, good choices. So this is about four years later. It says, verse 2, The king's personal attendant suggested, Let a search be made for a beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in each province of the kingdom, so they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem at the fortress of Susa. Put them under the supervision of Haggai, the king's eunuch, keeper of the women. What, what a job there, the keeper of the women. A lot of single guys are thinking, how do you apply for that job? Is there an opening for that? The keeper of the women. But you don't want to be a eunuch if that's, if that's the case there. And give them the required beauty treatment. So Haggai keeps women and he gives them beauty treatments. Then the young woman who pleases the king will become queen instead of Vashti. This suggestion pleased the king, and he did accordingly. I'm going to give some more details in a little bit about this. Uh, There's some uh, unspoken things probably here in the scriptures. You have to remember, this is a pagan, lost culture. They did not have the sexual values that, I can't say we have it here in America, that you should have according to the Bible. They, um, there was immorality rampant. In the fortress of Susa, there was a Jewish man named Mordecai. So we're introduced to this new character here, Mordecai. And this is who we're going to focus on this morning. And the goal of us is us, us being able to say, am I Mordecai? 
And I want to say, if you are in the last half of your life, you need to be a Mordecai. Mordecais are people who invest in others. They are the, they're the ones that see a need. Esther, this young Jewish lady, had lost her parents. So instead of saying, you know, that's too bad, let the government, let some social agency, let someone else handle the problem, he steps in and says, I'm going to help you. And Mordecai is a godly man. He is someone who's teaching this child about the Lord. Even though they're in a faraway land, they're in exile, they're not in Jerusalem, he instructs his cousin here about, G, about, the, about, the, about the Lord God. And it says here, this Jewish man named Mordecai, he's the son of Jair, son of Shemuel, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, so he is an Israelite. Kish had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the other captives when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took King Jedaniah of Judah in exile. Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin Hadassah. Hadassah is the Jewish word for Esther. Hadassah, it means, it comes from the Jewish word that means myrtle, which implies righteousness. So Esther is someone who is very righteous. That is Hadassah. Because she had no father or mother. James chapter 2 tells us we are to love orphans and widows. The church has a responsibility to care for people in need. Do you know of someone who is in need right now? Do you know of an orphan or a widow? And I want to say something about orphan. Technically, the definition of an orphan is when both the mother and the father are deceased. Mom and dad are dead. But we live in an orphan culture. So what do you mean an orphan culture? This is what I mean by orphan culture today. Addiction. When parents are in jail, or parents, moms and dads are out partying and doing who knows what with drugs and alcohol, and the grandparents are raising children, that is that's orphanage. Divorce. When moms and dads are going through multiple, bringing multiple different people in their lives, that's confusing to children. That's not stability for them. So many times, again, the grandparents will find themselves raising children. That is an orphan culture that we live in. It might not necessarily mean mom and dad are dead, but the parents do not have a mother and a children don't have a mother and a father at home raising them and teaching them about the Lord. So basically, Mordecai, he's that grandfather. He's that cousin who says, I've got to step in. My responsibility is to teach these young people about the Lord. Guys, look around. Do you see some need for some young people in our church? That falls to us. You want to see young people in church, bring them, throw them in the car. Bring them to Sunday school. Take them out to lunch afterwards. Anyone and everyone should be in the house of the Lord hearing this message. Just like these events that occurred last weekend, last week with a motorcycle accident, a stroke. Remember, when we pass away, we stand before the Lord Jesus 
And we give an account of our life. Even children, even teenagers, even your adult children, they need to be here in God's house. This is for all ages. This is a multi-generational church. And I want to say, just because we're the 845 service, the so-called traditional service, does not mean young people can't come here. They get more time in their day. That's what's so great about the early service. You've got all afternoon. Keep going here in your Bible. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good-looking. I love that description in the Bible. She wasn't just good-looking. She was extremely good-looking. Remember two weeks ago, talked about how good-looking Tom Cruise was? This here... Esther is the female version of Tom Cruise, but she has some values, Esther did. She, she was somebody you want. If you're a single guy, you want to, marry, you want to meet Esther. I, I want to say, let's look at these descriptions here. She had a beautiful figure. That means you just looked at her and thought, wow, that is a good-looking girl. And they didn't just describe her as good-looking. She is extremely good-looking. God had blessed this young lady, this orphan, with beauty. But it was for a purpose. God gave her beauty not so she can get other men to lust at her. God gave her beauty so she could save, we're going to see later on, so she could save all the Jewish people. Because by her becoming the queen, God put her in a royal position for the good of the nation and the good of the people. When God has blessed you, whether that be with beauty, good looks, wealth, maybe a certain skill, maybe a leadership quality, whatever gift He's given you, it's not one so that you can get rich and look, impress everybody on social media. He has given you that gift for Him. Her gift was her looks. The woman is a 10 out of 10. She's beautiful, extremely good looking, the Bible says. When her mother and father died, Mordecai had adopted her as, her, as his own daughter. So he's going to care for this young lady. When the king's command and the edict became public knowledge, and when many young women were gathered in the fortress of Susa under Haggai's supervision, Esther was taken into the palace, into the supervision of Haggai, the keeper of the women. The young, the young woman pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. You know, two Old Testament people, a contrast, men and women, Joseph in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, and Esther have a lot in common. The Bible says that Joseph was good-looking. He was a handsome. Potiphar's wife went after Joseph. Not only that, every time Joseph met someone, he just won their favor. Every time Esther was doing something, it's just everything she touched turned to gold. Same with Joseph. They just God's hand was blessing these two people. Joseph and Esther had the looks, and had the ability of just winning. They were just winsome personality. And so that's what's occurring here. Haggai, the, the job of keeper of the women, 
he is won over by this young woman. But we also have to remember too, Haggai, choir, he's got to find a new queen. So he's also kind of profiling all these women. And history tells us there were likely between 500 and 1,500 women that passed through. So we've got a lot of young women who are being, um, I mean, you, you talk about truly a meat market for women. This, you couldn't get any more than this. So um, that's what's going on. The young woman pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. Esther ate healthy. That's what that meant. He assigned seven hand-picked female servants to her from the palace and transferred her and her servants to the harem's best quarter. So she is in the pipeline of possibly being a, 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 a lottery pick in the draft. <laughs> Esther did not reveal her ethnicity. That means she's Jewish. And or her family background because Mordecai had ordered her not to make them known. Now this is Mordecai again. He's guiding along his cousin. She was Jewish. They are in pagan, a pagan nation that probably did not understand Jewish values and customs and certainly did not worship the Lord. And Mordecai is regularly coming and checking on her, saying, Esther, don't tell anybody you're Jewish. Like, I see the Lord has blessed you. You're wearing this unique circumstance, and you have a high likelihood of becoming the queen. Mordecai, Mordecai didn't understand why, but he had the wisdom to see maybe God is working. We look at circumstances, maybe in your life, our life, our church's life. We don't might not know why, but we have to trust, Lord, you are working. Because you work for the good of all those who love you. If you love the Lord, do you love the Lord? Then the Lord is working for your good. He wants what's best for you. You are a child of Him. And He's working here in this young lady's life. Every day, Mordecai, what a faithful Adoptive father here. Mordecai took a walk in front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and see what was happening to her. So he, she daily checked, he daily checked on his adoptive daughter. He would just casually go to the courtyard, the best place, where they kept the best women, and spoke to the guard saying, Is Esther okay? Is Hadessa making it? During the year, before each woman's turn to go to King Ahauerwas, the harem's regulation required her to receive beauty treatments with oil of myrrh for six months and then with perfumes and cosmetics for another six months. When the young woman would go to the king, she was given whatever she requested to take with her from the harem to the palace. She would go in the evening and in the morning she would return to the second harem under the supervision of the king's eunuch, Sash Jazz, keeper of the concubines. That means she's no longer a virgin when she becomes a concubine. She never went to the king again unless he desired her and summoned her by name. This um, is total immorality, what's going on here. Esther has one night with the king. And we have the context, this is 2,500 years ago. These women would come to the king at night. He'd have sexual relations with each one, that night. And then the next morning, after she, you know, I guess he evaluated them, they'd send her a different harem. 
because they're no longer virgins. That's what was going on. So this was truly just a pipeline. A different woman every single night would be with the king. And he's going to go through these women and he would select which one, based on her one night, would be the queen. This, um, this guy would, you know, he'd probably be in jail if he was uh, here. He likely would be in jail if this is how it was today. I mean, just total immorality back during this time. Esther was the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had adopted her as his own daughter. When her turn came to go to the king, she did not ask for anything except what Haggai, the king's unit keeper of the women, suggested. So this other man, Haggai, he's literally coaching Esther what to do. She doesn't know. She's never been with a man before. And this guy, Haggai, is telling her, here's what you want to do if you are, you know, it's like he's betting on this woman. He says, you're going to be the one. And Esther, here's what you need to do to win this guy over. So she didn't ask for anything. She's uh, just doing what she wants. Taking the advice from Haggai. The king's unit, keeper of the women, suggested. Esther gained favor in the eyes of everyone who saw her. And I think what we see here in the Bible, what's showing is God is just, his total hand is on this young woman. Even though she is about to go commit sexual immorality, probably against her will, with this ruthless king who's just not moral whatsoever. And she's just the next woman in line to spend one night with the king. In fact, there's a movie about, the, about this entire book of Esther. It's called One Night with the King. Because literally she had one shot, one chance. And we're seeing that even though we are in this terrible circumstances, even though you might be a school that you feel like children and teenagers is very immoral, even when you might work at a place where you're thinking, these people I'm with, they do not love and do not know the Lord. We see God's hand is upon her. There are times that we find ourselves in Persia, in Babylon, in Egypt, and we're having to basically go through a process that we would not at all want to do if we had to. But we are in a far land, and this is where I'm at in life. And what God is trying to tell us, no matter where you're at, we want to make sure that we honor the Lord under the circumstances we have. There's certain things in our life that we can't control. We can't control the economy. We can't control the price of turkeys. We can't control what other people do to us. But think about the things you can control. You can control if you come to worship, your quiet time, you can control what you eat. Esther had a special diet. You can manage your time. You can choose your attitude. You can become bitter or better towards folks. Esther is in a situation she doesn't want to be in, but there's things that she can choose as I'm going to make the best of this situation. And folks, that's for you. God is saying there is no reason for you to go around griping and complaining. It would have been easy for Mordecai to say, what on earth? The, my daughter, who I'm raising, who's an orphan, she's about to get raped. Like, this is awful. This is barbaric. 
This is unhuman. What, what is this king think he's doing? And if Mordecai would have done that, do you know what? Mordecai would have been standing before Jesus and giving account for his life because he wouldn't be around very long because that was the time they lived in 2,500 years ago. But Mordecai is showing to his daughter, hey, Esther, whatever happens, you trust the Lord. I know we're in a unique situation. We're in exile, but we choose to be righteous because that's what your name means, Hadessa. Keep going here in your Bible. She was taking in the, to, to the king Harawas in the palace in the tenth month, the, the month of Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. She won the favor and the approval of him than any other virgins. He placed the royal crown on her head and made her queen in the place of Vashti. What a, what a, what a night. She walks in and walks out with a crown on her head. The king held a great banquet for all of his officials and staff. It was Esther's banquet. He freed his provinces from tax payments and gave gifts worthy of the king's bounty. So that day for that party, you didn't have to pay your taxes. What I mean, folks were excited about this. Whoever, they're probably thinking, whoever Esther is, we like her because I don't have to pay my tax now. So it was a tax-free holiday that Esther became the new queen. When the virgins were gathered, now we shift back to Mordecai. This is where I see, where I want us to focus back on how the Lord is using this man. And I think for us, we want to say, God, how can, how can I be in a situation, live in a country, live in a city that seems so far and distant from God right now, that seems to be going in the wrong direction, yet yeah, I could be faithful to you. And I, we, we remember... In our faithfulness, we're not necessarily faithful to a nation. We're, we're faithful to biblical principles. Meaning, honesty, stealing, being uh, sexually and purely clean. These are attributes in our lives. Not gossiping our tongue, our language, that we live by. No matter what the circumstances are. We cling to our holiness and our righteousness despite deteriorating cultural morales all around us. And teenagers, that applies to you. When you go to school, when, you, when you're among your friends, you can cling to biblical principles. We are a people guided by God's Word. When the virgins were gathered the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther still did not reveal her family background or ethnicity. As Mordecai had directed, she obeyed Mordecai's orders as she always had while he raised her. So what's amazing about this, even while Esther is the new queen, she's with a pretty lousy king, she still honors her father. She obeyed him, and she probably had ten times more respect than for the king. During those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, he was there probably checking on his daughter. Bitham and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance, became infuriated and planned to assassinate King Aharawal. So choir, what's happening here. Two of the guys who were eunuchs who had access to the king, they probably were shamed and humiliated by the king because he wasn't a great guy. So he thinks, you know, we're, we're so sick of this guy. We have no respect for him, so let's just kill him. 
That's how they did business back then. Then Mordecai, when he learned of the plot, he reported it to Queen Esther. And she told the king on Mordecai's behalf. When the report was investigated and verified, both men were hanged on the gallows. So these two eunuchs were found out that they were trying to assassinate and kill the king. And Mordecai overheard it. He reports it to the queen. Esther goes and tells her husband. And then they are killed for that. And it says, This event was recorded in the historical record in the king's presence. That one line will absolutely be a turning point in the entire book. Because that was wrote down. When you write something down, you come back to it later. Oh, I remember that. That's right. Mordecai did save my life. And the Lord is allowing Mordecai, who's a righteous man, to overhear some criminality that's about to occur. An assassination plot. And instead of thinking, I'm going to keep this to myself, he spoke up and did the right thing. When you know or you see something wrong, we need to be a Mordecai. Not only did he live by example, or teach by example, because he's teaching Esther what to do, what to say, teaching her about the Lord, he also is living this out. And when he finds out about assassination, he's going to do it. And I think the principle for us, and how we want to conclude this message, is God wants you to look at how Mordecai, how Lord allowed him in this unique situation in life to shepherd and guide this young woman about the Lord and then actually to ultimately to save the king's life. And many of you might be thinking, why on earth would he want to save the king's life? Remember David? You know, he was in the wadi there, and he had the opportunity to kill King Saul. He was, his, David and his men were hiding in the back of a cave. And one day, King Saul came in to use the restroom. And David's men came up to him and said, David, look, the king is alone. He doesn't realize we're here. Take your sword and kill him, and then you will become king. You've already been anointed. Samuel has already told us you're next. This is your opportunity. But David was a righteous man. And he says, why on earth would I lay my hand, draw my sword against the king's anointed? That is what made David king. That righteousness is what set him apart. David knew that his authority and his power and his kingship, it came from the Lord, not by his own doing. Mordecai knew, even though I might not agree with King Ahauerwas, even though I might not agree with anything President Biden's doing, anything I might not agree with what the governor does, my responsibility is to pray for him and to honor them. It, we are not to be Christians who go around bashing those that are in front of, over us. It's wrong. If you don't like someone, vote for someone different. Encourage other people to vote for something different. But Mordecai was under the leadership of a Ahauerwas, 
And Harawals was not a godly man. But he's doing the right thing. We are called not to a political party, not to a nation. We're called to honor the Lord. Now, we're proud to be Americans. We love our military. We celebrate our veterans on Thursday. But folks, when we pass away, we stand before the Lord. He's the one we give our, our account to, our life to. And on that note, are you prepared to meet the Lord? Are you a Mordecai? When you pass away, when this is your last sermon, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Jesus is the Lord of our life, and He wants to be the Lord of your life. You be a Mordecai, and you follow the Lord in righteousness. When you see something wrong, you speak up against it. When you see a need, you guide the young lady Esther towards the Lord. Our responsibility is shaping a new generation and pointing them to Christ. And we do that first by making sure we are right in our own personal relationships with Jesus. We're going to close here with an invitation. I'm going to invite you to come to Jesus. You've come to church this morning, and maybe you need to get saved. I believe every sermon, every service is a time to get saved. Getting saved means you're saved from your sin, and you're saved for God. God works in all things for those who love Him. Do you love the Lord? God is working for you for His greater purpose. And His greatest purpose is salvation. That's when you pray and you ask Jesus to come into your heart and say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. So we're going to stand together. And David Dale is going to lead us in our song. And I'm going to stand down in front waiting and encouraging you to respond to the gospel this morning.